Welcome back to the Voices of Government IT, sponsored by Unisys. This month, we're discussing how micro-segmentation is securing the nation's high-value critical assets. Here's your moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for listening. Our guests today are Fred Henry, Client Executive, DISA Programs and DOD Agencies at Unisys Federal, and Lance Vaughn, Industry Director for the Stealth Solutions at Unisys. Gentlemen, good to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And Fred, why don't we start with you, and if you would kind of describe the state of things as they are now in the landscape of federal architecture networks, and especially in DOD, I guess the implication is that if you can secure and modernize DOD, that's the problem that will enable you to solve anything. Thanks, Tom. I think the problem and the challenge that you see across DOD is the increased complexity. Uh, the complexity of the architecture, the some of the skill set gaps that they're seeing across DOD is so, and also the funding constraints that are being imposed on DOD leadership as well as government leadership. I think that what the environment needs and what the leadership is really asking for is a way to simplify the architecture, reduce the complexity, and, and generate cost savings. So some of the initiatives that we see now is what we call software-defined networks. And more specifically, from a UNICEF perspective, what we generally look at that as software-defined security. And, and my colleague, Lance, will speak more to that in terms of how do you, how do you create virtualized data centers that are enabled through software-defined security. So, Lance, it sounds as if better cybersecurity and modernization and virtualization kind of go together in one big bucket. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, what we're seeing now, uh, there's always been a lot of talk about security and, and uh, those kinds of capabilities. Really, I think the conversation has transitioned a little bit to resiliency. Um, I don't think that anyone um, in, in the field believes that, you know, they're 100% secure. So really, I think the question becomes, what do you do when you're breached? And how do you how do you handle that situation? How do you continue to operate and uh, carry the mission forward even in, in those situations? And federal agencies in general have had problems with that, with the current architectures. What needs to change in order to have that resiliency and ability to recover? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot, uh, you know, what we have today is a really an a legacy architecture in most agencies. We have um, what's what's been carried forward from the early days of networking, and as as Fred mentioned, um, you know, software defined networking and certainly software defined security or software defined resilience um, are the way to to move this forward. And that the ability to be highly agile, to be able to um, react to situations in a much more uh, fast manner than than we've been able to do before is really the key to continuing to to have a resilient uh, posture. Tell us more about what a software-defined network is, what it looks like, and what of its resources are rendered as software. So software-defined security is really uh, a capability that helps to enable the virtualization of hardware, specifically in the data centers. Now, what that does is by through software-defined security, you can segment, you can segment different zones and layers within the architecture so that you can now start to create dynamically uh, different capabilities to increase trust in terms of how the data is being transmitted, who receives the data. And through that, you can start to simplify the infrastructure associated with that data center. Yeah, I think that um, we've, we've moving towards a software-defined network is, uh, is certainly an approach that most agencies are, are going after. Um, the problem has been uh, and continues to be that we're we're dragging our legacy approaches from the from the hardware side back into the software defined network, 
And uh, we see it as, um, you know, if you're going to virtualize your the hardware in your, your network, you need to virtualize the security too so that you can react more quickly to, to the changing environment. And can this be done in a vendor agnostic way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the vendor agnostic um, approach is, is really one of the only viable approaches. If you if you tie yourself to a solution that's, um, you know, where you you're, where you're completely uh, controlled by the uh, by an independent vendor or, or an individual vendor, then I think you really limit yourself um, both now and into the future. With a vendor agnostic approach, you can literally move things in and out without being beholden to any particular vendor. Now there must be a lot of approaches in the marketplace to this. What is yours? Well, the approach that that we have adopted at Unisys, it's really a micro-segmentation approach. And specifically within the DOD, what we have, what we have done is we have created a, an encrypted software-defined micro-segmentation capability. And, and recently, Gartner has reported that there is a, the use of micro-segmentation, particularly how you protect east-west traffic, is going to continue. But what we will tell any particular customer is that you have to make an assessment of your current architecture, your current environment, to make sure you are adopting the right type of micro-segmentation capability. Our solution is an east-west solution, and it's, high, and it's encrypted, and it provides increased trust in terms of how information is compartmentalized and shared within, based on authority of the user, role-based authority to get access to that data. So when you say micro-segmentation, maybe let's define that a little bit more closely. Yeah, I think the term micro-segmentation is fairly new, um, and I don't believe that there is a, a, you know, a fully um, agreed-upon definition of micro-segmentation. Um, and that's why we have to specify when we're talking about micro-segmentation, which is really creating small uh, um, groupings within your network, small, uh, very secure groupings within the network. Um, our approach is, yes, it's software-defined, yes, it's vendor-agnostic, um, but it's also based on things like um, uh, identity um, and to, to take some of the complexity out of, of that um, approach. And I think that, um, you know, the vendor-agnostic piece, the hardware-agnostic piece are, are really critical um, because most organizations are not going to be able to change their entire environment to, to roll in a solution like this. So a segment then would be defined how? Like, say, a tunnel between a given user and given resources that he or she has access to, and that would be considered something that you would containerize or wall off as a micro-segment? Yeah, the term we use for that is uh, community of interest. So you could think of a community of interest as a grouping of assets on the network as well as uh, individual users. And when you create that, um, that group and that COI, basically, you're, from, our, from our perspective, you're creating a very uh, secure environment for those um, assets and individuals to intercommunicate. If you stepped outside of that community of interest, not only would you not be able to communicate with any of those assets or, or users in that net, in that community of interest, you wouldn't be able to even um, see those those devices because our approach um, also includes a uh, cloaking element. So, how is that different from just the standard virtual private network? The well, a, a virtual private network or software defined network. Um, typically, you're talking about using things like um, uh, VLANs and things like that. We're really taking it to the next level by um, providing uh, really very strong security uh, encryption, data and motion encryption. So when we create these communities of interest, that intercommunication within that community of interest is is fully encrypted and uh, the devices are also cloaked.
And what assets are part of that community besides the people and their identities? I guess they're the databases that they might have access to, their hardware resources? Yes, Tom, that's a good question because it's really about protection of the data and the information. Because what we're seeing within what we call within the DOD space, the cyber domain, there is there is an increased concern that people, because everything is now connecting to the Internet, um, you have this you have this in, incredible amount of information, data, personal identifiable data that is now accessible on the Internet. And it's important that as a government as a, and as a DOD that we can ensure that that information that is needed to within DOD to project power, that information is accurate. And within, within government is citizenry. It, what is the information? Is that information that is going to give you access to services, is that information accurate? And I think that with what Lance was referring to earlier is if you are making this identity-based and you are restricting or denying the ability for people to compromise the integrity of the data is what you really get through the micro-segmentation, then you are improving the trust credentials of that environment. Is the difference then with this model versus the old ways of doing security then that the identity is not tied to a particular physical address or a port correct. or an IP? Yeah, that's correct. And and that's really, I'm glad you highlighted that because I think that's one of the fundamental differences in, in our approach. Um, by basing it on identity, you're really moving away from the, the legacy approach of um, complex firewall rules, uh, ports and protocols, IP addresses, and trying to track all that, which makes it very, very complex, really takes out the takes agility out of the picture. By, by building all this on identity, you can move things in and out of uh, communities of interest and, and really understand what you're looking at because it becomes very intuitive. And so once you have this community of interest, then you also have the virtualized assets that go with it. I would think that would make it much more agile, even moving ge geography to geography, as well as maybe mission changes and so forth. You've got those things virtualized. They're easy to move around. Yes, you can. It, it really makes your environment more dynamic. And, and that's one of the concerns that a lot of the military leaders are expressing today is is their build is the concerns of the competitive advantage that is being lost due to cyber. And so when information is compromised, when that information is now being ingested into weapon systems, you lose your agility, your precision and accuracy in how you perform your mission. And so if you can create more trust with the information that's being consumed by these weapon systems, information that's being consumed by individuals who have to execute different missions, information that's being consumed by first defenders, first responders, uh, that makes the, the reliability of the information more important. And that's really what you get with the, the segmentation that's being created through solutions that evolve a micro-segment type, type of capability. But I would also submit that when it's encrypted, now you increase the level of trust. And when you have this model going, uh, you know, often you've heard it in the past, and, and uh, Fred, you've got the, uh, the military history personally in your background. When a unit of the military went somewhere, there were trailer loads, and there still are to some extent pallet loads of equipment that they need. If you have a secure, virtualized, encrypted type of architecture, then it doesn't have to necessarily have physical presence where you are. It could be in a cloud. And so if you have access to a cloud, 
because it is virtualized, it can be in a cloud, it can be in any cloud, I would imagine that gives a lot more agility to operations. That's one of the benefits of micro-segmentation. It's one of the, and Gartner recommends micro-segmentation as people try to look at how they secure more of their cloud-based solutions. But when, when you look at the military formation that you were describing, let's say we'll call it the logistics organization, almost everything that is being used by that organization ties to the Internet. And so although the military was involved in helping to create the Internet in the early 60s, uh, what, where we are today with the Internet is there's so much interdependency associated with the Internet a lot of the information on the Internet is not all accurate. And, and some of that information is compromised because a lot of these end devices that we call uh, this the Internet of Things, a lot of these devices aren't being built with the right firmware. And so that introduces exposure, risk exposure, vulnerability to weapon systems. And so protecting that formation, which is what uh, Lance referred to earlier, by creating those communities of interest, isolating that so only people who have access or need access to the information that's going to determine the effects that that particular unit is being is trying to achieve uh, are the only people that will get access to that data with a with a really with a true micro segmentation type capability. And if you would, uh, Lance, maybe bring that home for us for sure. the civilian side of government. Okay. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, Fred's absolutely right, and, and absolutely the, the DOD is looking at, you know, how do we do this without loading a bunch of equipment on C-130s and flying it all over the world? Our virtualized solution allows you to do it, you know, within a software model. Um, but that's absolutely critical on the, on, the, um, commercial, on the civilian side as well because a lot of civilian agencies, in order to reduce costs and, and become more agile, are trying to move their workloads into the cloud. And it's been a real tripping point from a security perspective. How do we do that? and uh, ensure that we have security. And the model um, that we, we, we have around um, uh, Unisys Stealth, uh, because it is uh, vendor agnostic, because it is 100% virtualized, it plays well in the data center, it plays well in the cloud, and it also uh, plays well in a hybrid uh, data center cloud environment. Right on that note, we're going to take a short break. Our guests today are Fred Henry, Client Executive, DISA Programs and DOD Agencies at Unisys Federal, and Lance Vaughn, Industry Director for the Stealth Solutions at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This is Voices of Government IT, sponsored by Unisys. This month, we're discussing how micro-segmentation is securing the nation's high-value critical assets here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Every federal agency faces serious and persistent threats from both inside and outside their digital networks. Yet mitigating risks and preventing breaches is challenging. Unisys fills the gap with Unisys Stealth, a software-defined security solution delivering consistent, reliable security focused on protecting the critical in the data center, cloud, and mobile. Through cryptography and micro-segmentation, Unisys Stealth prevents unauthorized access to sensitive information and makes endpoints invisible to unauthorized users. Learn more. Visit unisys.com security. Welcome back to Voices of Government IT, sponsored by Unisys. Today, we're discussing how micro-segmentation is securing the nation's high-value critical assets. Our guests today are Fred Henry, Client Executive, DISA Programs and DOD Agencies at Unisys Federal, and Lance Vaughn, Industry Director for the Stealth Solutions at Unisys. I'm your host, Tom Temin. And earlier, we were describing an encrypted, micro-segmented, and virtualized type of architecture for networks in the DOD and civilian space. And Fred, why don't we start with you uh, with the question of how you get there from here? 
Tom, that's a great question. And norm, and it should start with the leadership uh, team uh, really embracing an innovation roadmap, a modernization roadmap. Uh, when I served in, on active duty, uh, I retired in 2014 from the Army. Uh, my last as a one-star, we as, should as point out. As a one-star, as a brigadier general. As my last two assignments, one was the, the deputy commanding general at NECOM. And at that assignment, I was asked to help to determine how do you normalize the baseline architecture for the Army across its installations. And you'll be amazed just how difficult it is to get people to embrace a change when it was going to affect them. And so as a leader, you have to be, first, you need to understand that modernization and innovation isn't easy. It's normally not about the technology. It's about the business decisions and the technology, and it's about people. It's about identifying those change agents who are willing to adopt the innovation roadmap and then incentivizing change through them. I guess the more they understand it, the more they'll want to own it, and the more they own it, the more they'll buy in. Uh, That is exactly correct. Because when my last assignment on active duty, I served as the chief of staff at DISA. And there's a program that's called the Joint Information Environment. It's the largest modernization effort in the Department of Defense when it comes to IT. Well, the organization that was responsible for helping to establish this this, this standardized architectural framework uh, was the joint, the JIE technical synchronization, technical synchronization office. And that, and, and I was the director of the JTSO, the JIE technical synchronization office. Now that, that organization required stakeholders from all across the OD and the various agencies to agree on what would be acceptable standards. And it was very difficult because everyone has their own idea of what constitutes a standard and what constitutes an investment requirement. And so it takes a lot of leadership, it takes a vision, uh, and it takes a commitment in order to drive change within an organization. So although organizations are facing risks, they have to also acknowledge that the organization is not going to change on its own. You have to be willing to invest time to change the business rules, the processes, and in some cases you might have to change people because some people will not want to change and they will not support your innovation roadmap. And with respect to standards and getting this kind of inculcated into an organization, sometimes certifications can help that along too. And uh, Lance, tell us about the certifications available to the stealth particular approach that Unisys has. Absolutely. Um, So we we are unique in that. Um, We have some uh, uh, interesting certifications. One of them is uh, Common Criteria. Um, and the other is uh, commercial solutions for, for classified under NSA. Um, those are those are highly um, prized uh, certifications. It takes a lot of scrutiny and a lot of time to to achieve those, but it really does uh, show the level of level of um, uh, of testing and um, evaluation that that this product and this solution has gone through to to achieve those. All right. And uh, when, once you're there, I mean, as you said earlier, Fred, the, the idea here is ultimately to protect data and assets and in the case of DOD and civilian lives and property. So that means cybersecurity must be enhanced, I think, by before people would adopt this type of approach, given all of the cultural and educational change it requires and technology switch out to get there. What are some of the cybersecurity enhancements 
that this new architecture, microsegmentation, encryption, and so forth, uh, virtualization will will give you? I, I think that that's a great question. I, I think one of the measurable tangibles that that you'll find is you're going to reduce the amount of attack vectors, what we would call cyber attack vectors, because you're actually flattening the infrastructure. Uh, one of the challenges that we see today, and it was reported by DISA at the DISA luncheon with the AFCEA DISA luncheon from the director of operations, uh, he, he reported that DISA is blocking 36 million spam attacks uh, to the D- Department of Defense Information Network each and every day. I think that that number goes down once you start to flatten the infrastructure of what we call the Doden. And once you start to build these encrypted tunnels for the information that needs to be protected, because it's all about the information, you have to remember that there's a lot of assets tying to the infrastructure that is connecting to the Doden. And so you want to be able to isolate some of that information and protect what's what needs to be protected and allow information that needs to be consumed because it's unclassified to be consumed. But where do you prioritize your efforts? You need to prioritize your efforts in those areas that are critical to the mission. And does that modernization tie into the DISA cloud acquisition that it's in the midst of? Because I think these two seem to dovetail pretty closely. I think what you'll find, you're referring to MillCloud 2.0. And MillCloud 2.0, I think that you, this is one of the initiatives that they're pursuing right now is to how do you virtualize applications to move to the cloud? One of the concerns is, is always is a concern with, with leaders in the military is how do I ensure that the application is not going to expose me to vulnerability once it's in the cloud? And that's where I think virtu- the micro-segmentation, again, helps to support those can, and mitigate some of those risk concerns that leaders have. Sure. And Lance, let's move on to the topic of critical infrastructure, because a lot of federal agencies, DOD and civilian side, have found that the physical world and the cyber world really are converging in many, many ways. And critical asset, critical infrastructure protection is really a priority across the government. How does this enhance critical infrastructure protection? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, we see this as a, a, a major um, vector for, you know, trying to protect um, everything from SCADA devices, industrial control systems, and things like that. Things that have typically been very, very difficult to uh, to secure. Um, oftentimes, they're they're extremely old and, and don't offer any way to install any additional security um, applications or solutions on them. So our approach is... Uh, uh, going back to the fact that we are a vendor and also a network agnostic, we can actually roll all of those devices into this this um, infrastructure or this community of interest methodology that we've been talking about. So now when you have devices that are, um, you know, sitting on the end of a runway someplace or, you know, um, controlling the, the, uh, a dam infrastructure, the valves in a dam, for example, we can stand up um, our solution in front of that and we can lock those devices down. We can protect them. We can we can cloak them. We can encrypt the, the uh, communications between them. Um, and it becomes a really powerful solution because it's something that um, we can we can roll out across just about any type of legacy or, criti- or critical infrastructure environment. You bring up an, also an important point with respect to endpoints themselves, of which there are millions and millions and millions, especially with IoT coming into so many operations, Internet of Things. And even with a totally virtualized network where all of the assets are virtualized, at some point there's an endpoint so someone can see what's going on. How do the endpoints that are 
forever physical become incorporated into the new architecture? Yeah, that's a good question, Tom. The Stealth Solution allows um, endpoints to interact um, with these uh, communities of interest securely. And really, the endpoints can be anywhere on the Internet. I mean, they could be uh, in, in a foreign country or, or even in, in the data center and, and um, access that those communities of interest, whether they need to be able to manage those devices or um, uh, provide additional uh, administration, we can we can access that from just about anywhere in the world. And for operators of the networks, the network operations centers, the security operations centers, even the data centers, which change radically in this type of architecture, how does life change for all of those people and how do you make sure your organization is ready for this? Yeah, oftentimes, you know, introducing a new security technology can be uh, can be a challenge. Just just the thought of bringing in a new, new technology is oftentimes uh, not something that uh, organizations want to uh, look at. They're already dealing with lots of different technologies that are probably not uh, fully integrated and, and are difficult. We have approaches where we can introduce this um, secure encrypted microsegmentation technology uh, and do it using the existing identity and access management uh, systems that are in place. And we have uh, several different uh, deployments where we can we can craft it so that all of this can be achieved through the existing identity and access, access management, for example, Active Directory. And by doing that, you can you can roll this into an environment where you don't even really need trained um, technologists to to run this new solution. They can they can um, uh, coordinate and manage it through uh, through existing tools. Just to just to uh, continue with what Lance just mentioned, one of the things that we would do also, particularly in within DoD is when you introduce a new technology, first of all, when you look at uh, the technology that we're talking about, um, stealth technology, that, that capability is going to directly tie to the existing policies, your access policies. And so whatever access that someone is currently being granted, uh, they will retain that same access. If you want to uh, do some sensitivity analysis on people within your organization, then it could be directly tied to uh, the, the capability of that's being installed with, with stealth because it's directly tied to personal roles and responsibility. The other thing that you want to do is make sure that you have sufficient training so that you can accelerate the rate of adoption within organizations because without adoption, you don't really get institutionalization of new change and new technology because you have to get to what I call a tipping point in any organization before they start to embrace uh, the capabilities and the effectiveness of, of a new tool. And in the age of dashboards and network monitoring and continuous, diagnos di continuous diagnostics and mitigation, people are used to seeing what's going on in kind of a dashboard or display format. If you go with this type of architecture, such as offered by Unisys Stealth, do you still have that? Can you see into this totally virtualized and encrypted architecture? You can, um, but but granted, you make a good point um, because we are talking about encrypting all the traffic. So the, we do need to to take that approach and and uh, take maybe a different tact on it. But we can still achieve the uh, visibility uh, into that architecture. We can still utilize the um, the investment that's been made in a network centric uh, view on the on that um, environment. Uh, but it does take a slightly different architectural approach to do it. All right. So let's wind up any good example that you can tell us about. Well, I would just say that within DOD, there is a, a, an urgent requirement to create within virtualized data centers a more trusted capability. 
because our military, as you know, our military never fights alone anymore um, because we are always going to fight with our coalition partners. And one of the great things about micro-segmentation, it enables shared information in a trusted manner that helps to support coalition operations. And so I would just say that within the DOD, you're starting to see examples of that now. How do I, how do I accelerate the rate of trust within, with my coalition partners um, for the, so that we can do what our nation is asking us to do? And that's a good place to end our discussion. We are out of time. I want to thank today's guests. Fred Henry is client executive, DISA programs and DOD agencies at Unisys Federal. And Lance Vaughn is industry director for the Stealth Solutions at Unisys. I'm Tom Temin, federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Thank you for listening to the Voices of Government IT series, sponsored by Unisys on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com slash unisys.